I think Henry Kissinger's always remained a snack. Like he he literally looks like a snack. Henry Kissinger does look like an undercooked scone. Welcome, everybody, to the Vituation Room Podcast live stream. I am your host, Francesca Fiorentini. We're right in the middle of the Super Bowl. I don't care. Okay? Is Tom Brady crying yet? Wake me when Tom Brady cries. For those of you listening in the future or somewhere uh, where you're lucky enough to be insulated from football culture, welcome, congratulations, and give this podcast five stars on iTunes. <laughs> Thank you guys for being here. Thank you for being in the chat. Make sure you are liking the stream. You're subscribed to uh, The Bituation Room. I'm like, which of my many shows should you be subscribed to? The Bituation Room. Right here, right now, Franny Fio. Subscribe on YouTube. Like the stream. Share the stream. Do all the things. NATO Green is here, you guys. And Harsha Walia, an activist and a writer who's going to break down what is going on in India because Rihanna wants to know and we shall abide. So we're going to talk all about the massive farm workers protest, what that means for uh, the world, uh, how we can all um, learn and be more like some of those striking uh, badass farm workers right now. So I'm super excited to get into that. Um but while I have you here, uh, I wanted to remind you all that this show had a another show. <laughs> this show had a bonus episode this last week with Alexis Goldstein, who works for Americans for Financial Reform. And she broke down her thoughts on GameStop and GameStonks, GameStop stocks, Um and what the future for like real financial reform is, what progressives and leftists should be fighting for when it comes to, you know, slowly trying to just like monkey wrench and completely, you know, make Wall Street collapse uh, entirely. And so building blocks on that, that's a bonus episode. It was early and special for patrons, but now it is available to everybody. But I encourage you all to become a patron at patreon.com slash room to get early access to a bunch of bonus episodes or just that one at this point. <laughs> but uh, all of your support means so much. Uh, this show is uh, just a little scrappy labor of love as uh, my producer Becca and I were were uh, groaning as we were getting ready. We're like, ha, 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 just getting very ready. So you're, you're so part of this team and thank you so much. $5, $10, 20 whatever you can afford. It, it really does make a difference. So thanks so much. And in that spirit, I would like to thank all of the people who have become a patron at $10 or more uh, by going to patreon.com slash room. This is my little Patreon party with, of course, Kevin McLeod's beautiful tune. Thank you, Austin C, Nate C, Jenny I, Mark D, Tom A, Patrick M, Bronwyn D, Michael D, Arn, Kristen I, Flower Dragon, Elizabeth G, and Juan Vasquez for upping and editing your pledge and becoming part of the innermost cabal of the Frantifa. Man, you're on the front lines. 
and thank you for that. Also, thank you to the big tippers who are tipping. And yes, you can still tip. TBR-Live on Venmo, TBR-Live on Cash App, Jenny S, Juan V again, and Steven W. I love you guys. Thank you so much. And, you know, ease up on the lentils in quarantine. Perfect. (laughs) That's really for me to ease up on the lentils. It's mostly what I know how to cook. Beans. And I'm a vegetarian. So it's just like, okay, let's do another chili or some kind of lentil stew. You guys, let's move into our, our bitching hour. Let's see. What was I, what was I going to bitch about? I was watching the Britney Spears documentary as I was getting ready. And I, uh, I do want a little bit bitch about that. I was like, I didn't know. I didn't know we were ruining someone's life when we endlessly slut and fat shamed her. And I I was young. I don't, fuck <laughs> this is our fault uh no i fucking love britney spears man i'm i'm mad that uh she's now like a prisoner to her dad and that sucks so uh free britney this is a pro britney free britney podcast i want everyone to remember that okay what i'm actually bitching about though is something that i think a lot of folks on the right and the left sometimes do which is use the word woke as a way to basically punch down at feminists and anti-racist black activists. Like, basically, the right is like, oh, the left is so woke, everyone's so woke. And all that means is what they think it means is that you're trying to police them for uh, saying the N-word or you're trying to police them around being super in favor of police. Like, so the right loves to talk about this woke culture and the cancel culture. Mike Pompeo, you might remember him, former Secretary of State, um, just a giant, you know, sort of hate in a suit, um, like just trying to start all kinds of wars. He had a, a tweet a while ago, and I just have been meaning to talk about it and bitch about it, where he basically calls out wokeness and political correctness. Um, and then, of course, multiculturalism, which is just Nazi shit. Like anytime you're like, and the problem is multiculturalism, it's just Nazi shit. But at least he was specific. A lot of people just say like wokeism. And it's like, you mean like general diversity and like being cognizant of people's pronouns and sexualities and ethnicities and religion? You mean that? Do you mean that? And then I will say that the left often also like, oh, everyone's so overwoke right now. Just that's not specific enough. If you want to say, if you want to say what I think you want to say, say that there's purity politics. You don't like purity politics. And and that's important, right? Like we shouldn't always police one another on being perfect beings, right? Sometimes we get stuff wrong. Sometimes we're learning, we're understanding. Um, But like, don't weaponize the word woke because it ultimately just sounds like you're mad at people of color. And it sounds like you're mad that there's been a massive movement against police brutality for black lives. And it's a slang term that also originated in the black community as black slang as like most slang has. So just careful with the word like woke or bashing it. That's my little PSA. That's my that's what I'm bitching about. You guys, that is. That's what I think we need to hear. Fuck Mike Pompeo and Tucker Carlson and all these other like your wokeness, your woke apocalypse. Good. Sit in it. 
sit in it. Sit in a multicultural space and melt slowly. And with that, I'm going to bring in my comedian for the pod. You know him as a union organizer, a comic, uh, a man currently waiting to be named official comedian laureate of San Francisco. And you can watch his series Laughter Against the Machine on Means TV and his comedy albums, The Whiteness Album and The NATO Green Party are available on Bandcamp. Please welcome to the stream, Mr. NATO Green. Hello. How are we doing? What's uh, up, NATO? How are you? Cheers, everybody. Hey, good evening. Uh, my drink tonight is called Board Shorts, if anyone's wondering. Still waiting for that Libra and co-sponsorship. Anyway, you know, <laughs> I think I think that the... I, I didn't watch the Britney Spears documentary. Did it talk about... Uh, um, I feel like they're, 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 she's a canary in the coal mine, if you will, on a certain issue, which is that part of the part of the circumstances that she Britney Spears is wrestling with is that she, is a conservatorship. She's been conserved yes. by the courts, and yes. uh, those of us who live in cities are currently, you know, that like conservatorship is presented as a solution to the urban crisis of homelessness and mental illness, and so we are encouraged by reactionary neoliberal politicians to conflate homelessness and mental illness, and the solution is to lock them all up and conserve them in the way that Britney Spears was conserved uh, and then force them to do residencies in Las Vegas at, at casinos uh, performing their greatest <laughs> hits um, to uh, while other people profit from the, from the uh, riches of their mental illness. So uh, I hope more people will learn about the limitations of conservatorship as a result of Britney Spears. Anyway, what I'm, bitching, what I'm bitching about is that I don't care about sports, obviously. And so the, um, you know, if, if, if I, uh, you know, the team that I'm rooting for is the international working class, quite frankly. And, mm -hmm. uh, I think this might be our season. Um, uh, so, <laughs> uh, <laughs> what, what's uh, tipping you off to that? You know, I just, I just, I mean, you know, the India, uh, you know, the protests and, you know, people are blockading shit all over the world and, you know, the workers walking off the jobs. At, Biden uh, isn't terrible. Biden is slightly less, uh, well, you know, terrible, I guess. Uh, so Bi Biden is, can be moved by protest, which I, which I enjoy, but, you know, because, uh, I don't care about the Super Bowl. Super Bowl Sunday is, among other things, the best shopping day of the year. And I'm annoyed that because of COVID, I can't like hit the outlet malls, man. Um, <laughs> it's a bummer. That's uh, so true. Ooh, oh, next next year. Next year, that like the Livermore outlet malls are like a ghost town on Super Bowl Sunday. It's it's the best time to like go pick up some Le Creuset, uh, you know, cookware. Oh, yeah. and some oh, I bet the sales are good, right? Yeah, they're, they're trying to get people out. And some and some discounted uh, Echo shoes or what have you, the kinds of things that I John, some Johnson and Murphy shoes, the kind of some NATO green shit. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I was going to introduce you as and the man slowly turning into a corduroy uh, elbow patch, but oh, I was nice. You know what? Like recently, someone was like, "Oh, you should come do the do the Edinburgh Fringe Festival in Scotland," and and I was like, "Yeah, I would love to do that." Except that if I did that. There is a 100% chance that I will come back looking like dressed 100% <laughs> like fantastic. You'll start smoking a pipe. Like I'll be dressed like Fantastic Beasts and where to find them all the time. Like <laughs> like I would be totally ready to just like be Mr. Tweed suit guy. I could be that guy easily. I could totally pull that off. Yeah, I know. I know. You're like, no, I'm, I have to decline. Thank you. But it's. Yeah. It's for my own. Yeah, all of my ticket sale income would go towards buying like a tweed vest, of course. Mm -hmm. Yep. So 
Uh, yeah, I, uh, I, I think though that like the one group of people who are not going to sleep, even despite a pandemic are, uh, Asian moms are still out at the outlets. Believe you me. Are you kidding me? They're not going to miss out on Le Creuset sales. Sure. <laughs> so, uh, you call my mom up, you guys go down. Should I take your mom shopping? <laughs> take my mom shopping, please. She needs it. She's almost got her second vaccine. Uh-huh. It's very exciting. Um, well, NATO, it's so good to have you here. And, uh, we have uh, four very important stories to get to this week. And, uh, are you ready for them? Sure. Okay. Drop the beat. Let's, let's do it. This is the week where. Oh, so much happened this week, but I'm picking out four little gems for you guys because there's some fun stuff. I love that like not everything is awful these days, which is like, okay, there's some there's some fun things we can talk about. But one of those things is that this was the week where former President Donald Trump pulled a you can't fire me, I quit on the Screen Actors Guild after he found out they were holding meetings to discuss booting him from the union. And in one of his first public statements since being booted from the White House and losing his Twitter account, he wrote, I write to you today regarding the so I write to you today regarding the so-called disciplinary <laughs> committee hearing aimed at revoking my union membership. Who cares? <laughs> That's the first line is who cares. It's also it's who cares exclamation point, not who cares question mark, uh-huh. which is because it's it is a question. Who cares? Well, I'm not familiar with your work, <laughs> Screen Actors Guild. I'm very proud of my work on movies such as Home Alone 2, Zoolander and Wall Street. Money Never Sleeps and television shows, including The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, Saturday Night Live. And of course, one of the most successful shows in television history, The Apprentice, to just name a few. <laughs> Well, I'm not. How catty is this pre- is this man? Like the cattiest person. Um, uh, yeah, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, um, just so you know, all of those parts are parts in which he played himself. You guys, I don't know if you can consider that acting like every day I wake up and play myself. No cameras around of excluding this show, but like, I'm just myself, but do I get access to a healthcare plan and bargaining power just for being myself? Hell no. Should I? Yes. I I really thought your performance on Thursdays (laughs) was not your strongest work (laughs) as yourself. Um, uh, I, so I went on IMDb to see about Trump's acting credits. Trump has 26 acting, acting credits in quotes, of which 23 involve playing Donald Trump. 23 out of 26. The other three are for playing Forbes cover billionaire in an animated video short called Horrorween, VIP VIP patron in a movie called 54, uh, and Waldo's dad in the 1994 remake of The Little Rascals. So that's the extent of his acting oeuvre. So essentially just, yeah, Ronald Rumpf. the same, the same guy, the same guy over and over again. Um, I was watching actually a, like the entire, like a back-to-back clips of every, every cameo he's ever had. And I was like, oh my God, he had it so good. Like he had, everything was fine. 
when he could be president, like and he and or when he wasn't president, we could just be an actor or just be like a television billionaire. Like what was wrong with that? Everything was so safe. It like actually made me miss the old Donald Trump. And I think we should have just fabricated a new show. It could have been, you know, it could have been like instead of the West Wing, like the Weimar wing. <laughs> <laughs> um, instead, we got that the 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 real the real deal. Um also, like, he doesn't need union perks. He's, like, the last person who needs a union perk. Like, what's he going to do if he, like, stages a walkout? You know, like, going to walk out on his own persona? You can't, you know, what do you, who's, anyway, I'm done. Well, and he's, I mean, obviously, you know, he's complaining that the union didn't do anything for him. And, uh, which demonstrates that he also doesn't understand what unions do because what the union did for him was for those roles in which he played himself in, for example, the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, he was paid SAG minimums at least, which, you know, are not bad. He doesn't need the money, but that's a different problem. Yeah. Right. So, you know, they protected his rights. They protected his rights. And there are lots of people who didn't, you know, that's who really appreciated that, who depended on that. And, and then after that, SAG went ahead and voted to expel him anyway. They were like, oh, you resigned? Well, not only, we're going to vote anyway. We're not going to kick you out. We're going to forbid you from ever rejoining. And so if you're not, what it means is that like these things that happened in the past where like Wall Street money never sleeps would be like, let's get Donald Trump to play Donald Trump for this, that in the future, no one can ever do that. You know what I mean? Like there was that Republican Senator Fred Thompson who for mm-hmm. years would just turn up on like episodes of The Good Wife playing Republican Senator Ted Fred Thompson or whatever. Um, and, uh, you know, that like Trump can never do that again. Like no one can ever stunt cast Donald Trump to just show up and deliver three lines and be a dick and because rape somebody. Because they're all SAG. Because it's all, it's a it's SAG work and he's been banned from the union. And so he can't even, he can't come back if they relaunch The Apprentice, he can't walk across the screen and say, what's up, everybody? He can only be an extra. Oh, my God. <laughs> I mean, he's just going to be in Bannon's 10th movie about the Clintons or whatever. Yeah, he's, he's going to have to do not like non-union productions and, you know, go to like, <laughs> <laughs> like, you know, to be on like local television in North Korea or something. Yeah, he's he's basically going to be me on the Internet. Uh, working for them likes everybody. I hope you're liking the stream. Um, moving on to our next story. This was the week where I'm sure y'all heard freshman Congress member Marjorie Taylor Greene or the thing that happens when the Chardonnay runs out was stripped of the ability to serve on any House committees by a vote of 230 to 199 over her comments about pick anything. Over Nancy. anything she's ever said. <laughs> Everything she said, um, killing Nancy Pelosi, Jewish space lasers, uh, Obama being a Muslim, um, what else? Uh, the the election being stolen. Um, but she she has spoken and in a press conference had this to say that she wasn't really wasn't really phased by the entire you can't actually do your job thing. Going forward, I've been freed. I do. I feel freed because you know what's happening on these committees? You see, we have a basically a tyrannically controlled government right now. The Democrats. Yes. She's been freed from doing 
the work of a Congress member, just like the internet message boards freed her from doing any thinking. You see how this works? Like even, even though she does CrossFit, 8chan is clearly doing all the heavy lifting in her brain. Um, I'm just really thankful that in that speech, she didn't use like a free at last MLK quote. Cause I feel like that's where it was going. <laughs> she was about to do that. I feel bad about making fun of her. It feels as a comedian, it feels like punching down. Um, <laughs> and also like, like, you know, as a political comic, when Trump was going to leave, when Trump lost the election, people, you know, some people were like, well, well you know, your political comedy is going to be over. And I was like, no, 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 I remember people said that when George Bush was out and I was like, don't worry, the universe will provide a voila, Michelle Bachman. And here yes. we are. Um, uh, but this stripping her of her committees for her bullshit is not a good punishment. So as the punishment for being a violent, anti-racist, uh, anti-Semite, inciting sedition, your punishment is going to fewer meetings. Uh, like, that doesn't seem that bad to me. Uh, the, the other thing is that when she talks about being freed, it, I, like, I can't help but think about um, Obi-Wan Kenobi when Darth Vader kills him in Star Wars. And he says, strike me down and I'll become more powerful than yes. you could possibly imagine. Yes. And, then, and then in the entire rest of the series does nothing to indicate that um like like he doesn't <laughs> at no point after being struck down and allegedly becoming more powerful than Dar if darth vader if he had said strike me down and i will become more powerful than you could possibly imagine by which i mean occasionally every once in a while <laughs> talking to luke in his brain that's all i'm gonna do that is more powerful than you could possibly imagine darth vader would have been like yeah sure i i can take that risk so that yeah, when, yeah, yeah. when she talks about being Good free, threat. yeah, cool, 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 cool. Uh, that doesn't <laughs> You're that... so right about that. This is like, also, it's all he does is say, use the force, Luke. Use and it's the like, force. Bitch, I know. Yeah. That, what else do you think, think I was going to do? do? <laughs> I put a post-it on my, on my desktop that said, use the force. Like, don't you have something better to say than what I already wrote on my post-it? <laughs> it's right here. It's on the dashboard of my X-Wing fighter <laughs> to oh, use God, the force. You're not helping, Ben. No, so. um, but she did have actually, it's funny because we're mocking it. But like you said, we're, it's all, it's, we're living in their satire at this point um, because she tweeted something pretty much like almost verbatim exactly what we're saying, which is, I woke up early this morning, literally laughing, thinking about what a bunch of morons the Democrats plus 11 Republicans who voted also to strip her of her responsibilities are giving for someone like me, uh, what a bunch of morons the Democrats are for giving someone like me free time in this Democrat tyrannical government. Conservative Republicans have no say on committees anyway. Oh, this is going to be fun. Oh, my God. Like, I actually think that's a real threat. Like the fact that Marjorie Taylor Greene is in Congress is because white middle class women have way too much time on their hands anyway. Like somehow tennis and needlepoint and church just don't cut it anymore. So now it's QAnon and Jewish laser beams causing wildfires. Like come get your Karens people. Okay. Check in on them. Introduce them to new hobbies. Idle just, hands are Marjorie's workshop is what I'm trying to say. Just cut her loose on next door with all the other white ladies. <laughs> To be like, I think there's a black in the neighborhood or whatever. <laughs> there's that homeless person again. That was the one time I logged on next door and I was like, never again. It was just like, well, the homeless is back. You're like, oh, God. <laughs> 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 Fucking stop. 
<laughs> well, and also, so I literally woke up laughing. Do we, it either that's literally, literally woke up laughing. Can you imagine what would be involved in like, <laughs> like that's a, that's not healthy. Like not even like I need some water anyway. Ha ha ha. Like, ah, <laughs> uh, uh, it's so, oh. It's scary. I do not know what she's going to get up to, uh, but uh, more conspiracies to come for sure. Oh, Marjorie, the gift keeps on giving. Um, meanwhile, we have other news, but still in the same milieu of uh, MAGA who've lost their uh, minds. Okay. This was Ready. the week where CEO uh. of My Pillow, Mike Lindell, was passed around right-wing media like a legal hot potato as he continued to claim that the 2020 election was stolen from Donald Trump. OAN and Newsmax, or Knockoff Fox, are trying to thread that needle of appealing to their MAGA base while avoiding being sued by companies like Dominion Voting Systems, which has already sued uh, members of Trump's legal team, Rudy Giuliani and Sidney Powell, to the tune of $1.3 billion each. Um, Lindell recently purchased a two-hour time slot on OAN to air his docu-film called Absolute Proof, in which he presents no proof. Um, instead, he presents a bunch of theories about servers in Frankfurt, Chinese-controlled voting machines, dead people voting, um, all which had to be prefaced by OAN with this very, very shook disclaimer. This program is not the product of OAN's reporting. The views, opinions, and claims expressed in this program by Mr. Lindell and other guests, presenters, producers, or advertisers are theirs and theirs alone and are not adopted or endorsed by OAN or its owners. In particular, OAN does not adopt or endorse any statements or opinions in this program regarding the following entities or people. U.S. Dominion, Inc. and any related entities. Smartmatic USA Corp, Brian Kemp, Brad Raffensberger, or Gabriel Sterling. <laughs> May contain traces of nuts, horse meat, and lies. <laughs> Look, Francesca, I get it. Like, Mr. this my pillow guy is annoying and a jackass, but also I love it, and I think we're not looking on the bright side. Mm. Tell me. If on November 9th, 2016, you had told me that the regime of President Donald Trump would end with his only last supporters being Rudy Giuliani, who at this point is a horcrux in human form, and the My Pillow guy, I would say, A, that's great that he is so isolated and alone, and B, what is My Pillow? Uh, because if you had locked all the comedy writers in a room and said, you have to write a joke about Donald Trump's last proxy on the news with a what's next type joke, like that'd be crazy. What's next? N and set up the most obscure and irrelevant person. None of them would have come up with anything close to as good as the My Pillow guy. Most of us don't even know his name. Please don't tell me. I don't want to know. There is no one, not even the most deranged and illiterate proud boy who thinks this my pillow guy has some valid points. Uh, our reality show, white supremacist, rapist president being defended by a pillow mogul, that is lyrical, historic, poignant comedy. <laughs> it is like a Shakespearean comedy. As they said in Twelfth Night, dost thou think because thou art virtuous, there shall be, be no more cakes and pillows. The biggest question is why David Hogg, 
of the Parkland fame is in a fit of fury at the MyPillow guy's offenses, decided that the best response was to start a competing pillow company. Yes. Uh, Boss Hog, there are easier ways to make a living. <laughs> if you want to put my pillow business out of business, if you want to put my pillow out of business, did you know that my pillow isn't even the most popular brand of pillow? Uh, you could have just done a boycott. You could have been like, hey, everybody, according to the New York Times Wirecutter, Sleep Number is one of the many better pillow options for you. Right. Obviously, Wamsada Dream Dreamscape is my favorite or Dream Maker. Anyhow, totally. keep going. So Obviously, good. one of the lesser known forms of PTSD experienced by survivors of school massacres is not being able to remember that there are multiple brands of pillow to choose from. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Marjorie. All right, there. Yeah. Stop harassing a survivor. But you know, he's he's a twenty year old at Harvard. Like, if he wasn't starting a startup, like, would he actually be? Would he exist? Um, I feel like that's every twenty year old at Harvard's goal. Um, he is starting a, a pillow company together with uh, a software engineer, um, who's another like I don't know how you could be thirteen, you could be thirty kind of uh vibe of a dude um hog says this time it'll be union made have an emphasis on supporting pro progressive causes causes and not attempt a white supremacist overthrow of the united states government so you can sleep at night and i'm in it for just that slogan won't attempt a white supremacist coup so you can sleep at night um i love that i wonder if it will be called not my us pillow I think it'll be called historical memory foam. <laughs> uh, property is theft pillow. I don't know. I'm trying to do a spin off of my uh, collective ownership. Okay, we've 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 run this into the ground, guys. Put some uh, uh, suggestions for what David Hogg should name his pillow company in the comments. Uh, and thank you so much. Um, moving on to our final story, which I'm still trying to get my head around. My God, this was the week where the military in Myanmar decided to coup the hand that's fed them for many, many years by overthrowing leader Aung San Suu Kyi. Uh, Suu Kyi was a human rights activist turned human rights uh, abuser. as uh, She turned her own military against the Rohingya people and essentially allowed them to commit mass genocide um, against that Muslim minority population in Myanmar. Um, the best part of this story, from what I'm reading, is that the military is charging Suu Kyi with illegally importing walkie-talkies. <laughs> I didn't write anything for that, but... Mm. You know, if it's not genocide, NATO, it's, it's the... It's the illegal importation of the walkie-talkie. Is it a tariff issue? <laughs> Are walkie-talkies banned in Myanmar? So uh, so as a result of their coup, she's, Aung San Suu Kyi is back under house arrest. But it's COVID. Fucking aren't we all under house arrest right now? Um, so I wonder how her bread baking is going and what she thinks of the <laughs> crown. Um, so it's... Uh, it feels like a remix, like it's a military coup. A lady won the no Nobel Peace Prize in 1990 uh, yeah. under house arrest, and she's she's still doing her hits. 
Like she's just doing the hits in the year of our Lord 2021, like Paula Abdul touring op- Opposites Attract, which was also big in 1990. And the protesters in Myanmar are throwing up three fingers like it's the Hunger Games. Uh, and, uh, and, and as you said, she's a uh, human rights champion who may also be responsible for genocide. She's a Nobel Peace Prize recipient who may also be responsible for genocide. Uh, a lot like Henry Kissinger. So, um, <laughs> but unlike Henry Kissinger, uh, she was quite a snack when she was younger. So, um, <laughs> I, I, I don't. Think, I think Henry Kissinger's always remained a snack. Like he, he literally looks like a snack. Like he, he's packaged. Look at him. He's just. <laughs> he's. I remember. I think he visited Trump, and like I'm like, does he? Do his feet hit the ground? They don't. They they just we he does Henry Yay! Kissinger Henry Kissinger does look like an undercooked scone. <laughs> <laughs> this episode's gonna be called Kissinger's a snack though. <laughs> um and with that, that was the week where give it up, clap it up. Thank you guys so much for being here. On Marjorie Taylor Green, Lil Mac on YouTube says, Well, you can't prove that there are not space lasers. NATO? You want to take this one? Yes. As a Jew, let me say that if we had space lasers, do you think that we would waste valuable space laser resources starting wildfires in the Hollywood Hills of all the places <laughs> that we could point our space lasers? It would not be at fucking Jew Beverly Hills. At the thing you run. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so... I tell you That's what, though, <laughs> if we had space lasers, there would be uh, a lot fewer Marjorie Taylor Greens in this world. So uh, that's Absolutely. how you know that we don't have space lasers. I love how that argument, which is so funny, is prop like someone on 8chan is totally like, nah, they all live in California. Why would they do that, though? Like that's like a Nazi's actually making that argument right now. Um, <laughs> so silly. Dax Dax Alvarez says chairman pillow with a silhouette pic of Bernie and his mittens. I like that. Chairman pillow is a pretty good name for a pillow. (laughs) All right there. That's chairman pillow. Right. Thank you for your service. Um, all right, you guys. Hey, did you know we have a Patreon, uh, patreon.com slash situation room, become a patron today. Five bucks. One buck. It doesn't matter. It means a lot. Also, you can tip the show TBR-Live on Venmo, TBR-Live on Cash App. But let's get into it. We're talking about the massive protests in India, what, why they happened, why they continue, and what they mean for the world and, um, you know, solidarity movements in the future. Uh, this is the sesh. And joining us for the sitch, she is a, a Sikhi Punjabi feminist activist and author who is organized in the grassroots migrant justice, anti-capitalist, feminist, abolitionist, and anti-imperialist movements for the past two decades. That's how I know her from years and years and years ago. It's very exciting to have her. And she has a new book, Border and Rule, Global Migration, Capitalism, and the Rise of Racist Nationalism, which is available now. Please welcome Harsha Walia. Hi. Harsha. Thank you for being here. Thanks for having me. I was just laughing in the in your back room. <laughs> <laughs> I saw you. I was like, uh, someone like the Kissinger joke. 
Thank you. Um, yeah. Harsha, the protests that have been going on in India that have started back in November, um, and they've been met with massive amounts of violence. Well, first of all, they're like unprecedentedly huge, massive amounts of, of turnout, uh, also a lot of violence, disappearances, arrests, the uh, uh, blackouts in terms of internet access that the Modi government has uh, rained down on, on uh, protesters in the regions that are, are protesting. Um, this week, Rihanna tweeted about it and Greta Thunberg tweeted about it. Rihanna was like, why aren't we talking about this? And then, of course, like crazy Hindu nationalists in her mentions are like, how dare you? And all she was like was like, well, let's just let's just talk about this. Um, but I know you've written some about it. And I wanted to ask you, what what are the specific laws that farmers are rising up against? What what has happened? Why? Wh why did it set this off? Yeah, there was three la three laws um, that were introduced in the Indian legislature, you know, in the midst of the pandemic. Um, and these three laws uh, essentially just are, are market reforms, more neoliberal market reforms into the agricultural sector in India. Um, and they do a couple of things. One is just kind of privatize the entire sector um, to a greater degree, which makes it harder for farmers to subsist. Most of Indian farmers are subsistence farmers. They're not major mm -hmm. farm owners. Um, and also one of the significant things that it did was to remove uh, and remove the regulations of what's called minimum support pricing. So what that is, is basically give farmers a guaranteed income uh, through state subsidies. So basically, it was three laws that increasingly make it harder for farmers to earn a livelihood um, under the guise of reform. But basically, that reform is just, you know, larger corporations, bigger companies being able to come in uh, and, and gain a foothold in the Indian agricultural sector. So if I could just reflect back to you what I just heard as someone who doesn't know a lot about this, what, what I think you just said is that most Indian farmers are a subsistence farmers, which the meaning of subsistence farmers is that you only make enough to barely subsist on. Mm -hmm. And the government decided that that was too much. Basically. Yeah. And that they yeah. want that that was too much and they wanted to be able to pay farmers less than they need less than. to subsist. <laughs> Okay. Sub subsist, yeah, Sub -subsist. yeah. And, to, Sub and to remove any minimal income, so to to have nothing, and and just um, I mean, I if, if in case folks didn't know, I'm reading this is from Reuters about uh 1.3 billion um or uh the agriculture sector employs half of India's population of 1.3 billion, um and unrest is among 150 million landowning farmers. Uh, that's so it's, this is like millions, tens and tens of millions of farmers. It's not like yeah. the US where it's like, oh, we're lifting some of the corn subsidies and then like the farms that are left, which there are fewer and fewer, they've been consolidated, like they get mad. It's it's far more massive than that. It's I feel like Americans can't even comprehend the scale like like when people protest in India, people fucking protest in India. And it's like, oh, yeah, it was a small protest. There were only 75 million people there. <laughs> and people are like that's more people than have ever protested anything all combined in the history of the United States. Yeah. What about yeah. the women's march? Yeah, that was like uh, uh, two million, you know. Yeah, and the you know the the major day of of action and Bharat Band, which was shut down India, was two hundred and fifty million people. So that was the largest uh, single day. But you know, millions of people continue to surround New Delhi, which is the capital of India. So essentially, the entire 
border of New Delhi has been shut down. So all of the, the roads and the highways that go into the city have been shut down by farmers who have basically occupied every entry into, into the capital city. And, mm. and, and was there an organization that people were building on or, or was this pretty spontaneous? Um, I mean, it's a, it's a bit of both, like I think any, uh, any mass resistance movement. So for months and months in the lead up to the organizing, in, especially in Punjab, uh, Punjab is one of the main states where farmers um, are a majority of the population. Uh, there was over 31 trade unions who were involved in, um, in base building and building power in Punjab. Um, but also there was a lot of spontaneous organizing, um, and we see that ongoing now, right? The kind of caravans that keep coming uh, and the tractors that keep coming into New Delhi really are quite spontaneous of young people, and, uh, young people and elders. And a lot of villages have basically mandated that every family will continue to send one person uh, to the protests in Delhi. Wow. Um, wow. And this is, you know, because right now the tactic of the government, of course, is to to stall and to see how long people will will wait it out, especially in the winter months. And so every family has said that they will on an ongoing basis continue to send one member of their family. So like when the village mandates that everyone, um, uh, every family sends somebody like, but that doesn't, that doesn't include like during brunch, right? Uh, there would be no brunch without them. Yes, I, would... I don't. I don't think. I don't, we don't do brunch. <laughs> Nobody we goes do... back to brunch. Yeah. There's, um, there's no brunch on the front. Yeah, they they took their cues. <laughs> I, I wanted to ask you, Harsha. So, like, what's the broader like hit, like the historic importance of farmers mm. to India's economy? And this isn't the first time they've been put in the crosshairs of like transnational mm. capitalism. And I know that in. Um, like the late 90s and early 2000s when like, you know, when globalization was really taking hold that they were also targeted and had to fight back. So can you just sort of situate us like where we're at in this long struggle? Yeah, thanks for that question. And, you know, that is one of the key differences between the United States and what's happening in India, of course, is that, you know, there hasn't been that kind of capture uh, of capitalism in this to the same degree. Um, and so 86% of farmers in India are small landholding farmers or farm workers, right? So there's not, they're not major capital um, ventures or major corporations. And this is, this is a long struggle. Um, and, you know, we could go really far back into the British Raj and the, the period of, of British empire. Uh, but really, even just going back 30, 40 years, the industrial revolution uh, or kind of industrial farming um, revolution in India was called the Green Revolution, which is like like the worst name, right? Because it was the opposite <laughs> of green. It was completely, uh, you know, polluting, full of pesticides, and was bringing in industrial farming into India. And this was like a global template of how to capture uh, small farm farm owning um, land holdings. And so the Green Revolution began in the 70s. It was kind of the, you know, the time of when the World Bank was like, we're going to bring capitalism to the whole world and, you know, to newly freed post-colonial states. And so the Green Revolution was a, a disaster. It brought in monocropping, brought in evil corporations like Monsanto, polluted the water, um, and has led to an epidemic of farmer suicides that people often hear about in the news. And even until 2019, over 10,000 farmers in India every single year committed suicide as a result of mounting debt. Um, that's like about 28 people every single day. 
Um, and this is, you know, a crisis that oftentimes we hear about as like, you know, just one of, of misery um, without really looking at the reasons of, of why there is such an epidemic, why people are, are so desperate that they're killing themselves and really the crisis of debt. And in Punjab, which I mentioned earlier, so Punjab is a state where Punjab actually literally means five rivers. That's what Punjab means, five rivers. And the state of the five rivers is the breadbasket for all of India. It's a state that produces over 60 percent of Indian staples, you know, like rice wow. and wheat. Right. And in, in the Punjab is the epicenter of farmer suicides and where farmers um, are indebted at a rate of about 2% of the rest of the country. So really farming has been, um, there's, you know, the kind of stronghold of capitalism to try to indebt farmers, um, to try to, you know, bring in GMOs, uh, to bring in pesticides. All of this is, uh, is, you know, really the long arc of the agricultural crisis in India. Mm-hmm. And um, what, who's, who's motivating these policy changes, these, this legislation? Is it, is it a homegrown, uh, uh, you know, is it the homegrown ruling class in India or are there, is the World Bank or, you know, multinational corporations involved too? Yeah, it's a bit of both. Um, and, you know, that's what's really ironic. About are you it. saying the world is complicated? <laughs> I need it, either or answers. <laughs> They're both, right? They're both. Um, and, you know, one of the things that's really ironic about Modi, who's a Hindu fascist, is he tries to present himself as this kind of parochial right-wing nationalist, right? But similar to Trump, he's actually one of the world's most business-friendly politicians. Um, and, you know, so there are local companies like Ambani and Adani, who are some of the, you know, some of the world's richest people. Um, who are, uh, and, you know, there really isn't such a thing, I don't think, as like the local elite, right? They're all right, they're mm. transnational by their very nature. Um, but absolutely, you know, the US has for many decades been aggressively pushing at the World Trade Organization for countries like India to remove their trade protections on agriculture, to remove subsidies. And so it's it's a mix of of these these forces of transnational capital, which are arguably never really, never really local. Wait, I, are you saying, you know, no more rhetoricals? <laughs> Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Go for it. Go for it. We didn't have anything to do with this. America, we don't, whatever. World Trade Organization hasn't been relevant in, <laughs> since it won. Um, uh, I wanted to ask you, though, so you talked a little bit about Punjab. And given that we, you know, Modi is a Hindu nationalist, we've seen the rise of Hindu nationalist violence um, under his rule. Um, and given that a lot of the farm workers are Sikh, um, what is, how does this interplay with that sort of like religious and Hindu nationalist um, racism and violence? Yeah, I mean, and one of the things uh, that a, a lot of us in the Sikh community have been witnessing, especially in the last few months, is you know on Twitter and in social media is this call for repeat 1984, um, mm. and that's very chilling because 1984 uh, is the year that marks the Sikh genocide in India. And 1984 was shortly after the assassination um, of the fascist Indira Gandhi, and what was unleashed after that was majoritarian violence on Sikhs, organized and sanctioned by the state, where you know one Sikh was killed every single minute. Um, there was over 40,000 extrajudicial killings, you know, estimated 60,000 people uh, were disappeared. And one of the first um, implementations of anti-terror legislation in India was in the Punjab. So a massive prolonged campaign of counterinsurgency. 
Um, and so this was actually under the then Congress party who was in, in power, which is, you know, kind of the equivalent of, of the Democrats, if, if we were to make those comparisons for people listening in. Um, and, you know, the BJP is the equivalent of, of the Republicans, right? But really for minoritized communities, the reality is the same uh, when it comes to that kind of racial violence, that kind of religious violence. And absolutely under the BJP, who very much overtly believe in a, in a Hindu Raj, which is the rule mm. of Hindus, believe in Hindu majoritarianism, um, have an explicit agenda of annihilating Muslims, Sikhs, Christians, Adivasi, indigenous people, Dalit, caste oppressed people. This is a frightening, uh, a frightening vision of the future. And, you know, India is home to the RSS, which is the largest volunteer paramilitary organization in the world, where people voluntarily are part of a paramilitary organization of over 100,000 people in any single region of India, not even the entire part of India. But did um, they storm the capital? With oh, faith? Yeah. yeah, when Modi's out, they absolutely will, right? And, and Modi is, is far more dangerous than Trump, truly. Um, mm. And, mm. you know, has the backing of a highly armed and disciplined um, paramilitary force that Trump, frankly, just never had and won't, you know, just doesn't exist in the United States to that degree. Um, so it, um, Hindutva violence is, you know, on par with Zionist violence um, in terms of the occupation of Kashmir, um, in terms of, you know, there's never been a single year when India has not been at war um, across across its borders. And, you know, that's yeah. something that's hard for people to understand because um, most Americans, I think, think of India as like, I don't know, peace, love, pray, or yoga, or chai, or whatever. Sure. <laughs> um, yeah. And it really kind of erases uh, the reality of, of that entrenched state violence. Um, peace, love, nationalism. Against, yeah. <laughs> uh, and, you know, yoga and, and all of that, which is de deliberate import or export, rather, right? Like, that's Modi's thing is to have launched an international day for yoga. Um, more like namaste, am I right? Yeah. I'm sorry. I'll clean myself out. Goodbye. First of all, Namaste is definitely on a white girl's t-shirt uh, so, somewhere. Somebody yeah. has that tattooed in their lower back. Yeah. For sure. Um, Someone I do, named Megan. Probably. I, I mean, <laughs> I think what's really interesting, though, is that like the they're not able to ram through these these laws because it seems like parliament is negotiating with farmers. There's like major farm workers unions that are involved. There, because it's such a huge block of voters as well. Mm -hmm. So there's a huge amount of political power, which is interesting. And I would just made me um, curious: is uh, is voting obligatory in India, or is it? Yeah. it it's not. It's optional. No. Okay. Yeah. But <laughs> but but anywhere? Australia. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. In in Argentina, where I used right. to live, uh, which I will talk uh, about. All the Australia time. and what isn't it obligatory in Brazil? Maybe. It's obligatory in a lot of countries. What's interesting, though, is that when it's obligatory, mm. you always have like a populist. No matter who's in power, they're trying to get poor people to vote for you. Mm -hmm. You you know, and, and it can be as direct as like, here's a sandwich. Get on the bus and vote for me. You know, I mean, it's that coercive. That, it's not good. Get on, Look, yeah, here's yeah. A sandwich, that, get on the bus definitely happens. Yeah, that, that would work on me, depending on the sandwich. <laughs> <laughs> Some sandwiches, I'd be like, okay, I'll vote for fascism. <laughs> I'll pass. Depend what's in it. Yeah. What's in it? <laughs> Almond butter? Okay. <laughs> um, what what about like lessons for the war? Like lessons for farm workers elsewhere? Um, you know, 
or lessons for like international solidarity? Like where, what does this mean for the rest of the world? Um, and what we can learn from it. I know that's like a huge question, but. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and thank you and for that. And quick follow-up question just to tack onto that. What is everything? Yeah. yeah. What is, <laughs> what's the world? What what's is the global? World? I was just going to say, what is the world? How? Okay, go ahead. <laughs> no, and I appreciate that question because, you know, I feel, I feel so amped and, and, and so deeply inspired. Um, and I think, you know, a few things, one is of course, just the scale of organization, right? Like to have millions of people um, showing up in solidarity to have that many trade unions. Um, the other thing is just the, it's, it's perhaps less visible, but it's so needed is the logistical infrastructure to sustain millions of people um, on a front line of a blockade, right? Like that is no easy fit and that's just no easy feat. And, um, one of the things that's really central there and this speaks <laughs> is there a is there a GoFundMe I can give you yeah, right? to give to towards like a <laughs> catapult outside of New Delhi that's as part of the stage? They definitely need a catapult. They don't need no. pizza. Yeah. They've yeah. everyone's got yeah, food, they I think. They got food, and that's the thing, right? So it's the the food is organized around the principle of seva, and seva is the sick principle of, of service. Um, and I've always believed that the principle of seva and, and, and the Sikh social organization around a Gurdwara is one of um, the most vibrant examples of socialism that we have in the world today, which mm. is that anyone can walk into a Gurdwara and you will be fed. Um, and if you need a place to stay, you will have a place to stay. And this is like, this is not small, right? This is literally, they're doing it for millions of people, including people who are not farmers, right? So kids who are on the street um, who are homeless and or street involved are now part of these encampments because everyone gets wow. a tent, everyone gets food, um, everyone gets to be part of this. And I think um, for me, that's one of the greatest lessons is like, how do we actually figure out how to live together? <laughs> how do we yeah. figure out how to like do this for one another and sustain it? Um, so it's the Chaz know. of New Delhi. Yeah, it's it's amazing. <laughs> they even got like, you know, winterized tents in the middle of winter for elders. Like, wow. And, uh, you know, foot massages and and it's just it's incredible. So and also I'm there. The why didn't you why didn't yeah. you lead with you, that? Like, you, how do we get international? The lead. Yes. <laughs> there are foot, <laughs> you massages. foot massages. You need foot <laughs> massages for your elders who've been walking for, you know, three days to get there. And uh, be careful because there's, you know, they're definitely like like, uh, you know, righteous white liberals on, on the on the feed who are like these Indians. You know, I read about Kama Sutra and now they're talking about foot massages. <laughs> <laughs> I got to go. They're doing uh, Kama Sutra go. on the front lines. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I read about that. Um, so uh, can you, for for those of us, which is probably like 99.9% .9 of Americans who don't understand Indian domestic politics, like are the farmers protests, are they going it alone? Are there other forces in, in Indian civil society or the left? Is there an opposition to Modi outside of the farmers? Like, do you see this as like a farmer only type of thing? Or is this sort of like the beginning of, you know, something that could have more far, far reaching uh, implications? And I, I know I asked you an either or question and I really needed either or answer. So <laughs> no, no, no complexity right now, please. Um, I think it I think it is. Uh, it is most definitely wider. Um, it's a farmer's protest where lots of different social movements have showed up. Uh, one of the main slogans is uh, is Kisan Majdur Ekta Zindabad, which is farmers and farm workers. 
you know, unified because again, so many people who work on the land don't own own the land that they work on. But also other far other workers from other surrounding industries. Why is zones. the slogan "farmers and foot massages"? I seem like that. <laughs> should have been that, right? It put that been. on the sign. Come on, make a flag. Yeah, <laughs> farmers with foot massages. Yeah. Um, no, absolutely. And you know, there's the feminist movement has been present, and there's been a, a number of days that have highlighted the struggle of women farm workers, rather than the kind of assumption or stereotype of of male farm workers. Um, and also this this builds on, you know, really significant protests last year against the CAA, which was led, which was a Citizenship Act amendment, which was deeply creative artist agency. They're very yes. big in show business. <laughs> they, Alyssa Milano. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> They're a big problem. They, yeah, they control yeah, a lot of guys, who gets guys. TV shows. Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> which is a, a, a deeply anti-Muslim bill. Yeah. And so <laughs> totally, totally the same. Um, you know, so it, it's just it's building on on resistance uh, to Hindutva, especially and to the convergence between Hindutva and capitalism. And of course, this is happening while Kashmir continues to be under occupation. Um, mm. So all of these are, you know, the struggle for workers, the struggle for farmers, uh, the struggle uh, for Muslims in India and the struggles for for sovereignty and freedom for Kashmiris. You know, these these are all all kind of converging. Um, over the past two years in a, an incredibly powerful way. Wow. Thank you so much for this, Harsha. I wanted to pivot a little and just ask you one question, which is a big question, but you, you have this book. Like... They're all, all the questions are giant, but you, <laughs> we, um, you have this book coming out, Border and Rule, Global Migration, Capitalism, and the Rise of Racist Nationalism, which um, has a lot to do with what we've been talking about going on in India, but also... You um, have a chapter or part of a chapter that was printed in The Intercept and um, you talk about like the border machinery in the United States and like the border uh, border patrol ice um, starting under Clinton and moving through the, you know, war on terror Bush years and then being implemented in full by Obama, you know, as the deporter in chief. And then you've got Biden who's, you know, trying to pull some of that back just a little bit of it right a moratorium on it on de deportations for uh a hundred days and this week was a week where ice basically just ignored that completely like nope we're gonna keep on deporting people sorry i what do you think that that means like what does that tell us about this problem and how big it's become yeah, I mean, I think part of it is that, um, you know, the Biden administration didn't really step in and intervene in any significant way until there was mass pressure, including from immigrant rights organizations. And then ICE actually pulled back a number of deportation flights. But of course, you know, ICE is is the one of the largest law enforcement agencies in the United States. Its budget actually outpaces all other law enforcement agencies combined. Um, and, you know, so this, this buildup that Biden's trying to roll back, a big part of it was actually his own party, uh, especially with Clinton and Obama. Um, and I think in, in the coming years, there will be what we saw under Clinton and Obama, which is this kind of attempt at compromise with the immigrant mm -hmm. rights movements, right? Saying like, I'll give you the DREAM Act, but then I'm going to step up enforcement against immigrants with criminal records. Um, so those kinds right, of concessions, right. I think, are going to really be playing out um, over the coming years. And, you know, that's going to be a challenge for the movement to actually say no, right? Like no one left behind, no one is illegal, not one more deportation. Um, yeah. And I think that's really, that's always been the hallmark of neoliberal centrists, right? Is, is that kind of 
um, center, the politics of the center and forced concessions. No matter how far to the right we've been dragged by whatever, you know, what, you know, Trump or Bush or whatever. It's like, well, we're still starting from there. And, you know, centrists I, I, love that shit. I feel like the politics on that issue is, has has moved. Like once, you know, under Obama, like it was like comprehensive immigration reform was off the table and the DREAM Act was like, you know, a stretch. And now like the DREAM Act is like in mainstream Democratic Party politics and, you know, abolish ICE is the horizon of the possible um, and, in, you know, in the conversation and like 70 percent of Americans think that immigrants are good for society. And so it's like there's, you know, there's this weird moment where I feel like like the Biden, you know, Biden and the people around him are still sort of living in the politics of the Obama years. And but the politics of the country has really moved on it like. You know, I don't yeah. I, I don't think that uh, and, I, and I think like just the fact that they like initially defied the 100 day, you know, uh, mm -hmm. halt on deportations. It's like, oh, you've gone totally rogue. If it wasn't like the massive amounts of abuse and sexual violence at the border and with detainees, including children, like if it wasn't all of the violence that we've already logged that ICE has done like. Yeah, you're fucking rogue. You need to be dismantled. And they even ICE says they want to be dismantled. Like ICE wants to abolish ICE. Like they've said they're like, we're not really that effective. Like we can't really go after actual crime. We're basically treating anyone who crosses the border as a criminal. So ergo, this is not working. And anyway, I, I'm just like, I agree with you. And I think they need to, I think it has shifted NATO, but I also think that Biden is starting to get a taste of like, oh, I'm going to have to rein this in a lot um, with hopes of of actually dismantling. Um, I think the other thing, if I can add one question, yeah. which is that, you know, one thing that I think Biden um, will be building on that Obama perfected that I don't think we talk about a lot is how the border has actually shifted from the U.S.-Mexico border, right? Like the caravans that are coming through from Honduras and to Guatemala, um, you know, that's where the that's where actually the border militarization is happening. So in some ways, they don't need the same level of border enforcement because they're paying other countries to carry out border enforcement. Right. Like the border keeps right. getting pushed further and further south um, yep. because they know that there is so much resistance to inland enforcement. Um, and that's yeah. a trend we're seeing around the world, which is part of what I trace in this book, is that we need to stop from just looking at like what's happening at our borders. Um, particularly in countries in the West, and look at how that border enforcement is getting pushed outwards, um, and how you know that becomes part of this like matrix of border enforcement um, to implicate other countries in our border enforcement policies. And then we don't have to deal with it; we don't have to see it. It's not at our right. Border. We outsource it. You outsource it, right? Um, and so I think that's that's another trend, especially with the climate crisis, that we're going to be seeing a lot more of. Absolutely, we we got to move on, NATO. All right. <laughs> I'm going to read some comments. I, I just have one simple question. Please. Why? <laughs> is it how or why? No, my simple, but no, my simple question world? was what, what is the people? Um, no, my simple question was uh, re relate. I mean, related to what you were just talking about. Um, could you just say a little bit about how, like how border enforcement isn't just moving out, but it's also moving in. Like, how the you know once you have a deportation apparatus it covers the whole country it doesn't just it doesn't just stop yeah. 5 miles from the US Mexico border yeah that's just it it, do, it doesn't it doesn't stop at the border um, and you know the secure communities initiative which was initiated by bush and then kind of turbocharged by obama 
really kind of, you know, made the 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 prison to deportation pipeline, right? And the kind of police to deportation pipeline, which is part of why abolish ICE is like, yeah, abolish ICE and also over half of all deportations from the US in the past few years have been people who were turned over to ICE or DHS by local law enforcement, right? Yeah. Inland, like not just at the border. So it, it's just this this gnarly web of law enforcement. And of course, you know, abolition politics really moves us towards like we can't we need to abolish all these systems altogether because they just depend on each other in such harmful ways. And also abolish borders and nations and then we're done. Yeah, yeah, that's it. Just just that one thing. Just that one thing. <laughs> yeah, just that one thing. I mean, yeah, that that's been the main critique of, you know, this moment of the moment since globalization and mass massive movement of capital is like corporations can cross borders anytime. In fact, they're encouraged to do so at the expense of all people and people cannot cross borders without being locked up and, you know, et cetera, et cetera, demonized, vilified, et cetera. So anywho, demilitarize and eventually, you know, abolish. I'm not sure if I'm going to live to see that day, but <laughs> someone will. Uh, if, if, you know, climate change doesn't get us first, but <laughs> thank you so much, Harsha. Um, will you stick around for our final segment? Yes, I will. Uh, yes. You couldn't yes, say I no. Will. Cause I asked you on air <laughs> yeah, and did. that's how I got you. Um, this, oh God, <laughs> I gotta, I gotta intro this segment. So I'm sure everyone was, is familiar with, um, the Q shaman, the QAnon shamanon, um, who, <laughs> was wearing face paint and horns and like a sort of like head of a grizzly bear ish thing. Um, while he was, you know, walking around the Capitol building where he uh, gleefully stormed and he's been held since January 6th in a prison in DC. And he's been on a hunger strike since because they don't have organic food at the prison. <laughs> And as per a judge's ruling recently, the, there was an ex, like the he accepted or the judge accepted this appeal from the defense lawyer that says the food made this person's abdomen, the Q shaman's abdomen hurt and it made a tummy ache. And now he's being transferred to Alexandria, Virginia, where, yes, they do have organic food. And so in this, that spirit, of getting all of our demands met, you know, cause most prisoners have their demands met. This is, these are our demands. It was a long setup, but basically I'm asking if you were taken prisoner and you happen to enjoy a whole lot of white privilege, like the shaman does that, that and dude, you can pay for a defense attorney because goddamn, what NATO? That dude has abs, though. You're like, so obsessed with his abs. Why don't you fuck him? Look, you and I both know some women in their 20s that would totally fuck that guy. Yeah. Oh, they have. Yeah. This he's he is a he's a Burning Man fuck boy. Oh my god! Like he, you know, gave you Molly, you made out. You know, et cetera. One thing led to another, and you're having little babies with horns. Yeah, dancing to Diplo. Exactly. You're <laughs> you're really into dubstep. Is that yeah. Diplo? Anyway, the point is, what would your demands be, um, NATO? What would your demands be? Well, first of all, I think we all have to acknowledge that I actually did this joke on my first album. 
Um, <laughs> in 2012, on my first album, The NATO Green Party, there's a bit about me spending a day in jail when I was arrested for protesting the Iraq war and and objecting to being get, given bologna sandwiches be, and being They're like, sorry, so I'm, I'm vegan, which is what they fed us when I was in jail. So, um, but uh, yeah, obviously my demands, uh, if, if I were in jail, would be for three different kinds of vermouth um, so <laughs> that I could make all my different cocktails. I would need three kinds of vermouth. Like in your mouth, like slosh them around? No, no, no. I just, uh, not, I at the, not at the same time. I need, okay. I, I just need three types of vermouth in my liquor cabinet in jail. So, you know, cause sometimes I'll want the sweet vermouth to make uh, some cocktail. Sometimes I want a dry vermouth. Sometimes I want the vermouth Bianco. Uh, so depending on, depending on what's fucking going well, we'll on. We'll have man. to transfer you to a prison that has the three different types of vermouth and make sure to have like a liquor cart in, in the corner. Yeah, of I cell. Just, I'll just need a bar cart in, in my cell. Mm-hmm. Um, a Victorian, I'll, a little Victorian table. A Victorian table, and I'll also need a good like blanket situation because I don't like being cold when I'm sleeping. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> when I'm sleeping, I like to have like uh, it's not just about the warmth, but it's about the weight. Like I like to have a heavy blanket yes. on me just to you know pin me down a little bit because that's what I'm into. Uh, granted, yeah, granted. <laughs> Harsha, what are your demands? Yeah. Um. Maybe ethnic food for brunch. Mm. Maybe. So what? What like what? Uh, Harsha, white people are in ethnicity too. <laughs> <laughs> I want et- the ethnic food aisle. I want the yeah. ethnic food aisle. Everything on it. Right. Just that. Yeah. Or like Give in the commissary. Yeah. Like you can something you can you can trade some some Lucy's for yeah like some masala or something yeah. like that. Chai. Exactly. I I like this. Um, and it, well, it has to be brunch. Yes, and for brunch. Yes, it's got to be brunch. There is brunch in jail, and in this shaman's jail, it definitely <laughs> is. My God, uh, I need a kombucha every day for me. I just need a kombucha because, like, my abdomen hurts, and I need it. Does really help, you know. Um, it helps for my singing voice too, because sometimes I like to karaoke, and so I'll need a karaoke machine and a kombucha. Um, definitely not skimping on that. That's a, that's my human right to have a karaoke machine and a kombucha, and I'll need a reading group. Of, it's in the Geneva Conventions. It is. It is in the Geneva Conventions. Uh, the the fr- the Franny Accord. It's. Uh, yes, it is yes, essentially yes. being. If you waterboard me with kombucha, that also counts. But I've gotta somehow ingest it. Um, and like a reading group of Michelle Alexander's New Jim Crow. I demand that because I gotta get my mind right, and I gotta be in communion with people. So yeah, that's that's pretty. Those are my demands, and I can't believe this guy. I I don't. Do you think it's like organic shitty bologna sandwiches, NATO? Is it like? organic white bread and an organic bologna <laughs> probably no, no this motherfucker he has like he has uh um abs uh, to protect did he just yeah, show his abs in court and was like your honor hey these are I have vegan an, i have an 11 pack here um, <laughs> and i'm gonna need some tempeh stir fry <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Um, 
and and the judge was like, "Yowza, auga!" There was yeah. a whole boom, a boom, of- boom, 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 and uh, you know that's how you get things done. Also, being a white insurrectionist, I think, helps with like slush funds and probably a boat. I feel like when a when a when a white guy ends up in court like that, at some point, someone said, "You know, he has his whole life ahead of him." also final thought how you gonna be like an organic like can't touch anything that like has a pesticide on it and yet you wear fur like i call bullshit this is like every chick in la who's like i'm vegan another line of coke like that's you know what i mean there's something incongruous here that is not harm-free cocaine all right megan with your namaste tattoo. You know who you are. <laughs> you guys, that's been the Bituation Room. Thank you so much for being here. Harsha, where can people find you and your work? Uh, on Twitter, at Harsha Walia. That's a good place. Follow her. Harsha Walia, activist, author. Thank you for breaking it down for Thank us, uh, plebes. And, <laughs> and be very well. It's so good to see your face. You too. Thank you both. Yay. All right. And Nato Green, where can people find you? Uh, at Nato Green on Twitter, Mr. Nato Green on Instagram. Uh, check out my albums on Bandcamp. So good to see you. Take very good care. And thank you all for being here and sticking around. Hey, did I mention we have a Patreon and you should become a patron because we've got bonus content and you can get early access to it. Also, you can be my best friend. Patreon.com slash situation room. Five bucks, 10 bucks. If you give 10 bucks or more, I will give you a shout out with the fart song. Remember that? That was fun. Uh, and just reading some of your comments about what you guys want and what your demands are. Uh, Aaron gets good uh, Mongolian beef, no veg or onion with boiled rice. Wow. You had that so ready. Lobster every night. Real maple syrup, says Puzzler. Joseph Sage, mini fridge in a microwave or I'm not eating. I feel like you could do better. Ghost dog, someone to turn your bed down. Oh, yes. A little, little Andean mint under there. Um, and Haya, uh, Rosé all day. Hell yes. Thank you to Becca Roofer, to Kelly Carey, and to Dorsey Shaw on the other side of YouTube and this stream, pulling all the levers, making everything happen. And remember, fuck the patriarchy, fight the power, and don't just bitch about it, be about it. Otherwise, you get worms in your brain like this gentleman. John is in Wilmington, Delaware, Republican. John, what are your thoughts? Well, I support President Trump. I think he's got to get back in there in that White House. And they can't get people like Marjorie Taylor Greene out of office. We need women like her in there. Otherwise, these Democrats are going to keep eating the babies and cutting faces off of them. We need President Trump. We elected him. And it's time to get back in there and do his job. It's a delicacy, okay? Stop judging. Oh, my God. All right, you guys. Be well. Bye. Bye.